and we are live from America and just outside, just outside the matrix. It is time for the show that brings you the truth all behind the headlines. I'm Scotty L. Hughes filling in for the great Lee Stranahan, whose voice you will be hearing soon today. Extra tease for this morning. And you are listening to The Backstory. Well, this has been a journey this week, and I appreciate this is kind of the end of the journey for us for at least this week, but we have had some headlines that we've seen the beginning, the middle, and the end, which is exactly how I like to see news stories carried out, all the way from the continued conflict within Ukraine. Then you have the Madison Cawthorn story, and we'll give you an update as we now have a new opponent to Madison Cawthorn in North Carolina after he came out and said that he attended orgies and drug parties with Republicans. Now you have all of his fellow colleagues starting to endorse his opponent. Surprise, surprise, surprise. We'll give you the latest on that. We've also talked about, obviously, what has been going on. We had the slap around the world this week. Who can forget that? Well, we kind of wish we could, but that debate still continues on as it looks like in the PR war, Will Smith is the biggest loser. And now video of Jada Pinkett Smith laughing at Will when he slapped Uh, when he slapped Chris Rock is surfacing, so causing even more of a controversy. But is the fact that we're even talking about this still three days later just show that Americans in the West are ready to move on to their next adventure. You know, I gotta ask you, Rod, on this one. When you look at this week, and I know you still have one more day here. I'm sorry that I can't be here for Friday. I have this dance. I Do you look at the stories for today and go, okay, has it been a slow week, news week or a real fast one? Hey, Scotty, and thank you for thank you for being with us here on the back story. But um, I think it's been a fast, fast uh, purpose. I, I believe, uh, well, my belief is that that slap here in America distracted a lot of people from our real problems here in America. You know, that was just uh, two millionaires <laughs> having a, little, a fight, you know, so that really doesn't have any effect on regular Americans. So the distracted people from what's happening or about to happen. Uh, we've seen that uh, President Biden is removing Title 42 from uh, along the southern border. So supposedly there's going to be a mass uh, amount of people that are probably going to breach the border in the upcoming days. Well, and that is, it's a new care bone coming in as the president has allowed one of the major uh, legislations to expire. He's not going to renew it, so therefore it's causing all of these more. In fact, I saw a video today of a family from Venezuela, all the way from Venezuela, had made it up and were crossing the border. So uh, it's amazing. We've put more money into supposedly securing the border of Ukraine at this point. I mean, we're talking billions more than we've gone to actually securing our own border here in the U.S., but that's to be expected. But it's those that are coming across from the deep south, from South America coming in. If anything, they're going to notice when they get to America, um, it's really cold here. Despite tomorrow being the first day of April, it is freezing. Rod, I think you're in Washington, D.C. I think that's where you're located or wherever you are. I'm in the south and I'm wearing a sweatshirt and I wanted to put out, bring out my Ugg boots and my gloves again. It is absolutely it's absolutely freezing. And while I can see Al Gore's, you know, from my house, I can kind of wish global warming would, would kick in here at least for a few days. <laughs> well, over here it's overcast and it's uh, it was cold earlier in the week, like really cold in the 20s at night. But today it's like in the 60s, so it's kind of a, that weird weather where it's warm, but then it's a little chilly. 
Uh, like I said, I, I get it. It's spring. That's what you expect. It's spring. Okay, the number is 202-521-1320. That is exactly the number. We're going to talk to all of our callers, all of our listeners today. Last day, you kind of get to talk to me with the backstories. It's been amazing to sit in with you. Uh, you are listening to The Backstory. Okay, so we've got a lot to talk about today on this last day. Like I said, we're going to bring you the latest in regards to what is going on in Ukraine with the conflict with Russia. <laughs> it's kind of interesting. You know, when you sanction someone, when you don't allow them to pay their bills, you don't allow you freeze all their assets, their money. You're not allowed to cry when they say fine. But when you want what we have, we expect you to pay it way in our monetary fund. And that's what we're seeing right now with the ruble. It started yesterday. Germany came to an agreement with it. Now Austria is working on agreement because guess what? They're out of gas. And when you're out of gas, you find ways to be able to get that production to run again. So it looks like this whole West idea of trying to, to, to make sure that you punish economically, you cripple the economic system of Russia is starting to really backfire on those countries in the West. Meanwhile, you still have this propaganda war where the Hill has the latest. Yesterday, we reported on CNN, who's had to come out and admit, oh, yes, there are Nazis in Ukraine. We're sorry. We forgot that, you know, we forgot to tell you that, yes, uh, that there are Nazis there. But we admit it now. There are Nazis there. It's not just, you know, a, a part of Putin's propaganda. They're, they truly do exist. Today, we've seen The Hill has had to come out. And it's their morning show, their news version of their show, The Rising. She had to come out and say, you know what? Here's the deal. Um, yes, there's been some stories that have come out. And almost all of them have been fake. And I, she even admitted that she pushed them out on social media. And all of these stories had been pro-Ukrainian. But here's what caught me about her whole talking about the the propaganda. She says, we're going to go through those. We're going to show you all of those stories that turned out to be fake. By the way, stories that you and I here on Sputnik Radio had been saying all along were fake, that it just didn't take, you know, a genius to see that some of these stories were straight out of a fairy tale. But what you had is this, she said, you know, I even pushed it. She pointed out how Newsmax pushed it. She pointed out how... Major news networks have pushed different stories. They all turned out to be fake, pro-Ukraine. And then this is the catcher on it. She said, now realize that we're a Western media outlet. All of these outlets are Western media. So hence why we can report these and, and show you and fact check them after they've already been put out there. That doesn't mean, though, because we don't know what's going on in Russia, that they're probably putting out the same kind of stories that are pro-Russia there. But we don't know that they are. Uh, but we can guarantee that they are, even though we have no proof that they're putting it out there. And let me point it out. Yes, they have canceled a lot of the media from that region. There's you know, the growing number of, of stations, the growing number of people who've lost their jobs, the growing number of social media accounts that have been put on this blacklist is growing. But it's not impossible to find out what exactly is going on on the airwaves. Technology. It's not hard to find, especially if you are a news organization as great as Politico, as great as The Hill. All of these news stations, I know they can find ways to tap in and get the, get the news if it was there. And I guarantee it, if there was pro-Russian propaganda that was to be easy to prove was false and being spread just to give false hope, 
to those in Russia that they were, you know, that to give them false hope, it would be the headlines. We here in the West, our Western media would be on top of saying, see, look, they're lying to their people. But that's not what they're showing. They're continuing to show these stories that we know are obviously false. But now the stories have turned for more. We had the grandmas that were holding the AK-47s that poisoned the Russian soldiers that came in, put arsenic in the in their uh, tea cakes. Uh, I love that story. That was one of my favorite ones. It was, it was the grandma who invited the Russian soldiers in, uh, the Ukrainian grandma, and she killed 10 Russian high-ranking soldiers herself because she put arsenic in their tea cakes and served them tea. Now, if you... I think I read that somewhere in a fictional story at some point in some mystery novel somewhere. Uh, oh, I know what it was. Agatha Christie. That was a part of her thing. They used arsenic as well. So it, these stories weren't original. They weren't creative. So it didn't take anybody that had any sort of research, any sort of brains, had even gone to a you know an elementary or middle school in the U.S. to realize this story sounds familiar. Where have I heard this for? Yes, uh, that was the one thing that we kept saying. And yet, time after time again, we saw the blue checks on social media. We saw the people that were meant to be telling the truth that we are we trust as the American people to tell us the truth. Guess what they were doing? They were spewing lies. But I don't think it was just out of, you know, that this was just out of ignorance. It was to push an agenda that made it justifiable for the actions that were happening. It was to push an agenda that was going to demonize an entire nation of people and anything that had to do with it. This has just been a PR campaign that I do believe at first, Ukraine was winning. And those bullets that they were shooting in the PR world, their words were almost just as damaging as the actual fighting going on in the ground, because that was what was going to allow it, except for one thing, and this is what I always laugh about all of those who say that they know they, they, they've got a proper assessment of what is going on in the Russian-Ukrainian situation. It's obvious that 95 percent of those who are on television, who are on the radio besides here, who are on these stations that are making commentary about the conflict have never actually worked with anybody from that region before. Stereotypes exist for a reason. There is a reason why here in the South they laugh at us and say that we marry our cousins and then we don't wear shoes. Now, that's changed a little bit uh, thanks to Taylor Swift and Jack Daniels, but we get the stereotype. There's the California hippies that all they want to do is they're all vegetarians and they just stand out in the sun and eat avocados. And then you have the uptight Northerners. Uh, who need you know you need a, a dictionary to decide what they're saying if they're from a state like Boston or even Maine. They all have accents. There is going to be stereotypes for a reason. Somewhat can be somewhat accurate. I'm not going to lie to you. I like to go barefoot in the summer, but only inside. And I, anybody who knows me knows that I have this large collection of shoes, and it's actually a strange addiction with me. But on the other hand, if you've worked with someone who is actually uh, of a Russian or even Ukrainian background, you know, if they're older, middle-aged, older, you know that they are the most patient people you've ever met. They are the most non-emotional. And when this, when it's a serious situation, trying to get them to pull them out to be anywhere near hysterics like you are, uh, it's virtually impossible. 
Their whole game is they don't get involved with the major drama that's happening at the moment. They just wait it out. And time is the best way to handle any situation. And that's what I think what we're seeing right now as these PR term, the PR war is starting to change and that it is seeing that that is exactly what Vladimir Putin was wanting. He realized that the, the, the Western media has a very slow attention span. Uh, we needed a flashy object here and there. Guess what? Those in the East, especially those from Russia, they don't need that. They don't need these eye attention, everything changing every second of the day, multitasking, keep me amused type news events. And he's waited. And that's where in the PR war, what he's used. Our number 202-521-1320. We are going to have uh, a great gift bunch of uh, great guests today. Rachel Blevins is going to join us, continue about what's going on with the ruble being paid. Lee Stranahan himself is going to be back on with us. Give us an update on his health. Most importantly, I'm going to talk about whether he agrees with me on the fact that this PR war is changing. Carter Lauren, oh my goodness, have you seen everything going on with Disney? Good gracious. I'll admit, I love Disney. I love the Disney movies. I've watched them all. I have children, but even if I did not have children, I've been to Disney World. I'm a bigger kid there. But this latest controversy has turned out to be a real interesting battle, a social battle that I don't know who wins in the end. So we want to talk about that because it also involves the recent athletic issues going on about men competing as women and the rare chance when you have a woman compete as a man. And today is National Transgender Identity Day with major uh, a major statement being issued by the president, as well as the Air Force putting out the most peculiar commercial information you've ever seen. So we're going to talk about that. And then, of course, a preview of tomorrow. All of this, 202 521-1320. These are the topics we're going to discuss. Up next, your calls here on The Backstory. I am Scotty Nell Hughes filling in for the esteemed Lee Stranahan. This is his seat. I almost hate to give it up because we've had such a fun time this week on a journey, but I'm thrilled to because that is exactly the man who has ordered, who is, who's created this seat, created this audience. And I know you're excited to hear his voice, but it has been an honor. I hope you've enjoyed the information that you have learned this week. It's made you think. I know the callers have made me think. Um, about various points that have been made. And I think that's why talk radio is so important is because it's not about me telling you what you should say, what you should think. It's about you and I having this conversation and we are allowed to do that and to say, okay, what you're saying sounds right, but here's my point of view. That's what makes for good talk radio. And I think that's why it's so important in the world that we're having today. When these arguments have so often been one-sided Guess who loses? You and I. 202-521-1320. That's the conversation that we are going to have. You know, I want to talk about, you know, I've been pushing, I've had this story since Monday. So I want to get to it in this first half, half minute because right now, 
I don't think any of us, when we're looking at the economy, we're looking at everything going on, right now, we're not getting a stimulus check. And I think two years ago, our economy was starting to crash because we were starting to go into lockdown. A few weeks later, a few months later, you would start to get these, you know, these stimulus checks going into individuals. We've had two of them now. I think a lot of people got the small businesses would apply. We had obviously problems with that. Small businesses were not able to get them often. And yet you had multiple stories of fraud happening within the business world. And they even appointed a stimulus czar to overlook the business checks. But now we're finding out, just like what you could have suspected anytime government tries to throw money at a problem, that there was actually a large fraud going on, not by the businesses, but by individuals. We're talking, and I can't, you know, how you're able to mastermind this type of situation, I think is incredible. Because when you look at it, it's, you know, these were these were nice checks, but they weren't overwhelming. They were several thousand dollars. I think, what was the first one? Jed, maybe you can help me out with this, Rod. What was that first check? It was the $2,500 everybody got. Can you remember? Uh, I want to say it was different if you had a kid, right? If you were right. claiming kids, it got higher, but I believe it was 1800 okay, I believe. That sounds all right. Yeah, the first one was, and that was what was interesting. I never, you know, the, the family didn't go in, but the kids' checks, those did come every three months. Each one of my children got, I think it was a $300 check, so $600 uh, went straight into their college funds. It's not like I could return it um, the way that the, the federal government works. But it was real interesting to see. Well, guess what? Um, those ended up being, you're now seeing thefts of hundreds of thousands, billions of dollars were actually done by individuals. And guess what they used them for? Uh, luxury automobiles, mansions, private jet flights, swanky vacations. And these aren't huge businesses that did this. These were individuals that figured out how to manipulate the situation. And I mean, you got to give them credit. They did it real quick. Because these stimulus checks, not only with the first round, but the second and the third, they came real quick. So it wasn't like said, we think there's another one coming. They got this down. Let me tell, tell you some numbers here, because this is interesting. $800 billion out, $800 billion was handed out in what was called the COVID relief plan or the Paycheck Protection Program. Now, that was already on top of the $90 billion to $400 billion that was stolen from the unemployment relief program. So this is even separate from those that did unemployment fraud. And there was a, another 80 billion that was pilfered from a separate COVID disaster relief program that Congress set up. There was so much money involved. We didn't even know all the different programs. So now they're trying to prosecute them. And shocking, one of the biggest states where this uh, fraud was happening, where it came out of, you wanna guess? Uh, Rod, I'm going to give you this. I'll give you three chance, three choices here, Rod. What state do you think is registering the highest amount of fraud in the COVID relief plan? California. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. You didn't even need three choices. California. I mean, they got to have something to do while their governor had them locked down inside in that beautiful sunshine state. Why not figure out how to uh, commit fraud against the federal government? And that's exactly what they did. Let me say this. Uh, let me give you a couple examples of this one. This is great. Um, you have these. I just can't read this. is nuts. Uh, there was a Maserati was bought. There was $100,000. One woman did $100,000 in taxpayer money. She took her private jet from California to Florida. 
where she spent $5,500 at a luxury, oh no, Florida to California, $5,500 at a luxury hotel in West Hollywood. Now, she happens to be an Instagram influencer, which means everything she does, she posts, including committing fraud with taxpayer dollars. She did this, but she took the money, where, she, like I said, she was a resident, and she committed, has a criminal record now, arrest in five different states from larceny and identity-related fraud because of these checks. She tried to be somebody who she wasn't. She just continually collected money for it. Just ridiculous. Uh, Lamborghinis, Ferraris, Bentleys, and Teslas. Of course, lots and lots of Teslas. All of these cars, however, are luckily they're being impounded right now. If they can, they can prove. Now, be interesting to see what people they went after and what people they forgot magically slipped through the cracks were able to keep their Maserati. Uh, but all of these things, and yet, and, and here was the government's excuse: some fraud is inevitable. Really? So if you knew that fraud was inevitable, why would you not do more? But of all of these billions of dollars that were stolen. Only 178 people have actually been convicted, but 2,000 minimum, they assume, committed fraud. Up to 20,000 possible people in some form committed fraud with all of this money that was being given for COVID. Does that not infuriate you? Does that not make you angry? Does it not make you say, where is the accountability? Why are we doing this? Why did we do it repeated over and over again? The alarms were already sounding after the first stimulus check. That wasn't a problem. They wanted to keep it going. Well, there was one person you would think would want it to stop. And that would be Vice President Kamala Harris. And yet, she wants to give away more. She wants more COVID relief, but it's not even here in the U.S., so what I what I thought we had grabbed was Kamala Harris in Jamaica, where she was saying that, hey, Jamaica, now grant her family's from there, so we'll give her credit from it. We want to support you. And what what is so astounding to me about this clip from Jamaica, there's two things. One, she's basically promising more aid to Jamaica. She says, we are going to help you economically in Jamaica to recover from the coronavirus. Because, you know, we don't have enough problems here in the U.S. It's a, funny where we're sending more aid to other countries, um, but we don't actually have the money itself here. But here's the best part. I'm going to pull where I got it. It was great. Um, and she's uh, she's saying we're going to have a, But the problem with what she was saying, she reminded me of someone who was giving an oral assignment on a book report when she didn't actually read the book. So when you don't actually read the book, it's actually what she does is she's actually just talking about. We're just going to give you money to it. That's going to solve it. You know, you can't think that I'm ignorant if I promise you money. Everybody, of course, cheers and claps and says, yay, more money for Jamaica. But we have no idea what she actually had to say. Tarif from New Orleans joins us today. Tarif, what do you think? Should we be continuing to give coronavirus funds knowing that we have this much squandering going on, this much fraud? Well, I have two comments, but the coronavirus funds, um, if, uh, if you go to other countries and stuff like that, they, may, they mainly have 
they tie they try to tie other countries into the US system by getting them to sign contracts and things like that to make sure that they um they benefit the US. You know, the US is not just gonna give aid to countries without getting anything back. Uh coronavirus on uh, money, I mean it would be good, you know, you no, know, it would be good for the average person that's um, you know, poor, you know, broke, you know what I'm saying? A lot of people in this nation do need money. Um, uh, mom, we'll get to my second comment, if you don't mind. Um, from what I understand, by the end of the year, the beginning of next year, um, I have another comment after this, that, um, Disney, Vanguard, well, BlackRock, DNC, they basically going to be just pushed aside. The, uh, people on Wall Street, which I'm not saying that they're good people, they, they're sick and tired of them. So you're going to see, they're going to see, you're going to see them back in nationalist candidates. Which is mainly your um, your populist candidates, your Republicans, to basically push them on the side, and you're gonna see the DNC just basically you're gonna be used as a, well, a mop or something like that. They're gonna mop the floor with the uh, DNC with all the stuff that's gonna start coming out. So it's gonna be a gigantic gigantic shift that this nation is gonna um, gonna see. My third comment is dealing with the um, they had um, a diplomat from Tanzania. Was at a forum. He was speaking on. He was asked a question about why Africa is not back in Europe, dealing with the sanctions. They, 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 Africa is basically out of it. They live out peace. They neutral. They don't want to um 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 besides Russia about you know in Ukraine, and they see a across the east anyway. So that's why they're gone. So basically, it's like the West lost Africa and. That's it for Joe Biden with the leadership summit that he he want to have with the um, African nation. So, yeah, that's my take for that. Did I answer your first question? Absolutely. I'm all for questions. My, it's my Friday, so absolutely ask away. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. yeah so um, yeah. I I don't know if I say free Julian Assange, but he's very important now. He's very important. We need to free that man. My last question. I saw a title on Populous TV. Um, progress. Progress and peace talks between Russia and China. I mean, excuse me, Russia and Ukraine. I don't think that's going to go anywhere right now because um, <clears throat> Zelensky, he's not in reality right now. He's in La La Land. Russia's moving his forces to the eastern Ukraine, where they're going to basically destroy the sixty to eighty thousand Ukrainian troops or get them to surrender, surrender, and they're going to go around Konkov area and get and denoxify that area. And once they handle that, handle their business in those areas, they're going to go to the Nepal, play that out. They go to the southern part of um, Ukraine and go all the way down to Odessa, which is the east, southeastern part of, excuse me, the southwestern part of Ukraine, and clear that out. Then once they do that, then I think they'd be in the best terms to start looking for more for peace and um, to uh, with Zelensky in Ukraine. But after they uh, finish the military, Objectives, then that's when they're going to look for um, peace. The southern part of Ukraine is going to be in the hands of Russia. Well, it's interesting you, you would bring that up, and you you have two elements that I want to discuss here real quick before we go to break. Is uh, first of all, talking about the the election, I agree with you, but I did see a little warning sign today, which I was a little shocked by because I think for the last few months, overwhelmingly, all we have read, even the Democrats have conceded they're going to lose. But today I saw something very interesting it was actually one of the lead Democrat strategists wrote a column, opinion column for The Hill. 
saying, nope, we're actually going to win. We are going to gain seats. And I thought, but wait a minute, you already have so many that are not running for re-election. How in any way can you have this dream that you're going to actually gain seats? And on one hand, you could say, well, maybe he's just trying to make sure people show up in some form. He's at least trying to make sure the number's there. Or else, as what we saw, I think, in the last presidential election, the game can change real quickly. And we are still seven months away in our to the November elections. We've got some primaries before that. But in the end, it comes to the general. And that right there is uh, the ultimate goal. So I, I'm a little I'm optimistic about the Republicans taking over. And maybe we see a little change, a little balance to the Democrat in the White House. And you see both. Uh, but you never know. As the 2020 election taught us, you never know the rules to the game changes. Uh, it just takes one major issue to do that. You know what? I'm going to discuss the, your second part of your question. Thank you for your call. Uh, thank you for your call on this one, because I want to talk about what's going on in Russia, Ukraine with my friend Rachel Blevins, who is was with RT America and, and I. And I want to talk about what we're doing with the ruble and the latest exchange as President Biden has now decided to release the oil reserves here in the U.S. You are listening to The Backstory. I'm Sky Nell Hughes filling in for Lee Stranahan. And let's get directly to the topic at hand, which is these high gas prices and what President Biden says he is going to do. Here is what and who President Biden today in a press conference said the problems blame to be put at the feet of. Today, I want to talk about one aspect of Putin's war that affects and has real effects on American people. Putin's price hike that Americans and our allies are feeling at the pump. I know how much it hurts. As you've heard me say before, I grew up in a family like many of you, where the price of a gallon of gasoline went up. It was discussion at the kitchen table. Our family budgets, your family budgets, to fill a tank, none of it should hinge on whether a dictator declares war. So today I'm laying out a two-part plan. Not only to ease the pain that families are feeling right now, but to end this era of dependence and uncertainty and to lay a new foundation for true and lasting American energy independence. Oh, so shocking. It's Putin's fault. Putin's price hike. That's why I just paid almost doubled three times amount the last two weeks for gas than I did a year ago. Oh, wait a minute. Because even prior to this conflict, see, you see, this is what Biden forgets. We noticed and we've been noticing that even prior to this conflict, this price was going through the roof. You can't just print those little stickers that are appearing at gas stations. I did that with Biden's face on it. You can't print them just immediately overnight and distribute them. In fact, if you could, those people are amazing at logistics. This has been going on even before this conflict happened. And yet... President Biden, along with his team of minions in the media, are going to try to spin this. That is Putin's fault that the Putin's price hike that this has happened. Well, if it's his fault, then why did you tick him off? Why did you kick the bear if it was that big to you? 
President Biden has announced he has authorized the release of one, bill, one million barrels of oil per day from the strategic reserve to combat the rising gas prices. I mean, a uh, solution? Why didn't he do it sooner? And he's also saying the oil and gas industry has nearly 9,000 unused permits for drilling on federal lands. He's calling a use it or lose it policy. And he should make companies pay fees on idle wells, on federal leases, and on public lands they're hoarding without producing. But he doesn't, he misses one little point. He talks about them and all the bad they're doing, but he forgets to talk about the government re regulations and why they're not opening them up and the amount of fees and bureaucratic mess that this president and his administration and past ones have reinstated on those individual mass on on those individual wells. Well, you know, someone who knows oil and gas, nobody knows it. I mean, I, I even think from the grocery store to the postman, if you are from the state of Texas, you know the oil and gas industry. And hence why I bring on my favorite Texan, Rachel Blevins. Thanks for joining me, Rachel, today. Thank you for having me. I'm your favorite Texan. That is a high honor. Well, you know, it, it is. But is, is it true that in Texas that you learned about oil and gas industry? I think they teach you that in what, preschool, at least a little bit about it? Right. Absolutely. And, you know, it's funny because we've been listening to Biden talk about how he is going to tackle these high gas prices. And you're right. As you pointed out there, he's sitting there saying it's Putin's price hike. Uh, yeah, no, we've been on this trajectory for a while now. We've been talking about $100 per barrel oil for months and months now, just waiting when it would happen, waiting to see when it would happen, rather. Now we're seeing it happen. And, you know, the interesting thing is that we saw Biden come into office and he talked a lot about clean energy policies. And that sounds really great. But the problem is that the transition that he at least tried to take was something that the rest of the country we couldn't keep up with. And so he heavily discouraged oil production here in the United States. And so those oil producers said, well, okay, that's fine. If that's the policy that you want to have, that's what we're going to follow. And now we're seeing the results of that, where Biden has spent months calling on OPEC plus, calling on other countries to increase their production for it to have an impact here in the United States. And it's as if he just kind of woke up and realized that we could increase our production here in the US, even though people have been saying that for months now. However, I, I don't know what goes through his head. Um, but I do think it's kind of interesting that, you know, with the US announcing that it's going to release a million barrels per day from its strategic reserves, right now that's going to provide a little bit of relief. But we also have to remember that oil prices are based entirely on speculation. So they may go down a little bit because investors are looking at the market and they're realizing, okay, we're going to get a little bit of relief when it comes to supply. But this is supposed to go on for six months. And so there could be a point when it backfires, when, you know, those who are looking at the supply realize that they know what this exact finite amount is that is coming from the United States. And OPEC plus still isn't doing anything to match that in any way. So I'm really interested to see whether or not this is a policy that actually is helpful down the road, specifically when it comes to those strategic reserves. You know, I find it very interesting, like you said, Rachel, that all of a sudden he's it's like clued into, oh, by the way, I have this capability here. 
But yeah. you look at, we've talked about the Keystone oil pipeline, would have delivered 830,000 uh, barrels of oil a day. He's about to release 1 million barrels of oil from the U.S. reserves. He's about to dump 31% of our oil reserves. All of this to, to just control these insane gas prices. Is it because it's an election year? I don't know. What do you mm-hmm. think made it switch? That in his mind, he said, okay, maybe we need to look more domestically. Or is there a bigger question right now? Is where will President Biden actually buy the oil to replenish these reserves? Because he hasn't said that he's going to replenish the reserves from domestic oil. Where is he? How is he going to replenish it? Because he's going to have to. Yeah, that's a good question. And I honestly don't even know if he knows the answer to that. But it also is notable that it comes at a time when the U.S. is promising the European Union that we are also going to be a major supplier to them in the future. So not only is he promising this supply for here in the U.S., but he's also promising it abroad. And he's doing this as he's trying to convince countries within the European Union to cut off their reliance on Russia. Well, that may be easier for the United States to do when we're only looking at a reliance of around 10% of our supply coming from Russia. However, when you're in the European Union, they're relying on Russia for up to 40% of their natural gas supplies. And so for them, they can't just turn the switch off tomorrow. And all of these promises that the Biden administration is making to them saying, oh, well, we'll help you out with supply or you can get it from Dubai or you know around the world, that's not helpful to them right now because they're already facing skyrocketing energy prices and there is no clear cut, simple solution as there is for them to just keep getting their supplies from Russia as they've been doing and they've been doing that for a reason. So Biden may be trying to kind of finagle his way through the politics right now because as you noted, this is an election year. He is kind of seeing the writing on the wall when it comes to those low poll ratings. But the question then becomes how long until that catches up with him, because he's making a lot of promises right now. And it does not appear that there is a lot of follow through on how he is going to make all of those promises actually come to fruition. Well, it's interesting, Rachel, because I'm tired of living through historical moments. I know you are, too, at this stage. I feel like we've lived through a lot of it. Well, once again, today with this announcement, Biden is announcing the largest ever release of emergency U.S. oil supplies. It's the largest ever. Great. Another moment in history. So the largest amount ever who's voted for a president has just released the largest amount from our reserves. But here's the real interesting part of this. He thinks that this is actually going to lower prices at the pump 10 to 35 cents per gallon. But what I think is odd about this is none of these states are talking about relinquishing, reducing their own state gas tax. Think about it. If the state, let's take a red state like Florida, said, you know what, we're going to take advantage of all this. We want to help you. We're going to relinquish. And we're talking it could be, you know, five cents to 25 cents, depending on how much this gas tax is. We're going to eliminate that for the next six months. Why aren't any states saying, let's, if the federal government isn't going to do anything or this is what their option is, why isn't the states looking to do to solve the problem? Oh, well, they're rolling in the money right now. They're enjoying it. Uh, No, but I think it does kind of come back to really, we've seen a really interesting shift in the energy market over the last few years. And in the same way that you have OPEC plus members that are saying, well, why would we increase supply? We're making a lot of money right now off of the skyrocketing prices. This is great for us. 
states are in that same position. And at the same time, a lot of these investors are in the exact same position. And so in the same way that the Biden administration is sitting there saying, "Uh oh, we really have to get gas prices down because Americans will pay more at the grocery store all around. But the time when they really start to care about where their money is going is when you see gas prices getting over four and five dollars a gallon. Well, then at the same time, everyone who's making money and actually profiting off of that is kind of getting a little bit quiet and saying, oh, well, don't don't look at us. Just look at the other ways to try to, quote unquote, solve this problem. So I think that's a great point there. But unfortunately, for those who are profiting off of it, I don't know that they'll be as quick to give up that money as they as you would think that they would be. Well, and then one has to beg the motivation real quick before I let you go. Is this happening right now just because this is an election year? Rachel, would he be saying he's going to release these types? You know, he wants to help the Americans who are struggling with gas prices because he's got midterms in seven months. Would he be doing this if it was at the same stage of this time next year? You know, that's a good question. I think that it's a possibility. I think obviously, you know, politics are going to play a big role. At the same time, I don't know if his administration really judged it well when it came to their campaign promises, because obviously every president that comes in the office has a slew of campaign promises that they want to follow through on. Obviously, when it came to Biden, he wanted to pursue more clean energy resources, which is great in theory. However, he seems to have forgotten the part where that's not exactly easy to do when you've got a country that relies as heavily on oil and gas as the United States has historically. That's not an easy transition to just flip that switch. And unfortunately, instead of just talking about it and promising it, he decided that he was going to take action in a way that has not been beneficial to the United States. So I, I think there's some speculation there on when he would have gotten to this point. But yeah, those midterm elections certainly are are not helping out his team, but they could be helping out the American consumer if he is able to get those gas prices down. Well, Rachel Blevins, thanks for joining me. You can follow her at Rach, R-A-C-H Blevins on Twitter. But Rachel, you're like everyone else right now having to do having to do back handsprings and cartwheels to find, actually, you're talking, you'd give some great video blogs. I love, what's the best way for our listeners to be able to find out your commentary? Absolutely. I'm on Rockfin, Rumble, Odyssey, and Telegram, all at Rachel Blevins. So be sure to follow me there. And thank you so much for having me on the show. Well, thanks for joining me. And up next, a special treat. The man himself, Lee Stranahan, joins us to give us an update on his health and to talk about what exactly is going on with his PR war as much as it is the military war and the Russian-Ukraine conflict. You are listening to The Backstory. back. I'm Scotty Nell Hughes filling in for the esteemed, wonderful, amazing, brilliant. I'm not just saying that because he's online with us. Lee Stranahan joining us now to give us an update on how he's feeling, how he's doing, and if he's ready to get back into the saddle because I know his listeners are ready for him. Lee, welcome back to your own show. How are you feeling? Hey, Scotty, I'm feeling okay. Uh, you know, it's this, I had a, another stroke and this is the biggest one that I've had so far. Uh, and it affected a different portion of my brain. Uh, previously, the strokes I'd had had not really affected 
my speech or cognition at all. This, because of where it's positioned, did affect my speech pretty badly uh, early on. And I was in rehab in the hospital, and they worked in speech therapy with me, and I worked on that every day, and that's feeling better. Uh, I'm a little exhausted overall. Uh, they told me something at the doctors the other day. I forget what, what the numbers are, but it takes something like one week for every day you spend in the hospital to recover from the experience of being in the hospital. And I was in the hospital about two weeks. So I'm still feeling that effect, but, but I, I'm feeling good. My son Shane was out visiting uh, me and my fiance Danny is doing a great job of taking care of me. So I can't complain. I may, but I can't. Yeah, I'm about to say, you're a man, no offense. I'm going to be very stereotypical here and say that a, a sick man is, um, it's a hard one right now. I give my husband whenever he gets sick, and I don't care if it's because he's got a splinter or the flu, or I think at one point he even had bronchitis. I gave him 24 hours. So that's it. I'm only going to baby you for 24 hours. It will be the best, easiest 24 hours of your life. We will keep it quiet. We will shut the curtains. I'll play classical music. We'll light candles. You'll be a perfect vigil. But you get 24 hours. That's it. And then you better be back up and running with me. And he knows the rule. After 17 years of marriage, he knows that's all the sympathy he's going to get from me. Um, I know that we're still lasting. And usually it works. And I know that if he's still a little bit groggy after after one day, that maybe he might be a little bit sicker than what I gave him credit for. But that's the joy of being a parent to young kids right now. Anybody that knows that knows that uh, you don't really get to have the full sick leave that you would want. But I'm glad to hear you back on. You know, I checked in with you, Lee, the, the, earlier this week, and I, I asked you, you know, this is your audience. This is your this is your show. Tell me about them. And you gave a good job. But we talked about how we're seeing the PR war that originally was probably being won by the Ukrainians. Uh, that was the only thing they were really winning. How it's kind of reversing now because a lot has been exposed as being lies coming out. And so at some point people start questioning, well, why are they having to lie to us in order to get our support? What are you seeing? Because you've just you've been just as active on Twitter as always almost. What are you seeing? Do you agree with me that we're seeing this switch over the last three weeks that even the blue and yellow flags in the uh, profile pictures are starting to disappear? Well, I think they they overplayed their hand to some extent. The profile pictures, everyone having a blue and yellow flag. A lot of people on the right who are skeptical after being lied to about Russiagate and being lied to about COVID-19 and being lied to about January 6th, when they see everybody all in on something, they're suspicious. Their hackles go up immediately. And I think... I literally saw one of the things I saw early on was a newspaper headline. They can't just say Zelensky's the president under trying times. They can't just say that. I saw literally what they said was, is Zelensky in our generation's George Washington? No, he's not. So let me just jump to that there. He's not. But by calling him that, they're overplaying their hand. They're taking it too far. And they're too effusive in their praise 
of Zelensky. And I think a lot of people, notably on the right, and the reason I say that, and by right, I mean Republicans, as opposed to Democrats left. I'm using not, you know, I'm using establishment terms. Republicans in particular have been lied to for five years straight. And they've seen over and over, here's the narrative you have to accept. Here's the narrative you have to accept. They saw that with Russiagate. They saw that with Trump early on. And this is another narrative that they had to accept. And I think it raised, it's the, the benefit of this narrative is the U.S. has a long provable history of, for instance, when Russia's complaining that there was a coup in 2014 that overthrew the government of Ukraine. Uh, the Obama administration did that. But when people looked into it, they found out, sure enough, there was a coup that the Obama administration backed in 2014 that overthrew the democratically elected government. And when they saw that that was the truth, they began to really get suspicious and begin wondering, gee, what else are they being lied about? And in particular. But here, I've got to stop you real quick on this, Lee, because here's what's been kind of, I, I like to figure out the ulterior motives when I see it. Where I'm scratching my head at, and I agree with you, this is on the right. But if you look at some of the traditional allies of the conservatives, real conservatives, not the establishment Republicans, people like Sean Hannity, people like Newsmax, uh, they're all pro-Ukraine. I, I was literally shocked the other night. You had the leader of the Azov Battalion being interviewed, being praised by Sean Hannity. Now, I'm sure I could have seen that on the other networks, but I was sitting there watching. I'm watching Sean Hannity and Lindsey Graham just completely, and, and it, we saw early on, Sean Handy calling for the assassination of Vladimir Putin. Then you go over to Newsmax, and they are overwhelmingly talking about pro-Ukraine. Where is that coming from? Because I, it's, it's literally making me cold to think that people like George Soros and the, Devo, the Devos, uh, Devos uh, financiers are having the same share and the same talking points as people like Sean Hannity and some of the more known conservative voices on Newsmax right now. Well, I've said this for a long time. This is clear in Russiagate. Dan Bongino and people at Fox News. And when you look at Fox News, they were, look, the beginning of the current anti-Russia phase began really in 2012. That's when the Magnitsky Act was passed. But that phase began the new Russian, anti-Russian Cold War. And the Magnitsky Act was literally sponsored by Fox News. News Corp is one of the founders, is one of the promoters, the funders of the Magnitsky Act. So I've said, and there's a reason, and a lot of people know Bill Browder showing up on Fox News, all over the place, to say on cue, you know, Russia good, Ukraine bad. And I think Fox News is at risk of really exposing themselves for what they are 
to their audience. Most Fox viewers I know, I know very few Fox viewers who are enthusiastic Fox viewers. They follow Fox because it's the only game in town for mainstream media that doesn't take the liberal line, the the Democrat line. And a lot of people are looking at Fox News going, this is what I don't like about Fox. They don't like people. I, I talk to a lot of people. I see it all the time. The people I see who don't like Hannity vastly outweigh the number of people who like Hannity. So I don't think you're doing themselves any favors. They're separating themselves from the grassroots Republicans more and showing themselves for what they are. Well, and then you get the reverse. You do have Tucker Carlson, one of the people from the very beginning, who has not been afraid of and has been attacked by the mob. I mean, but he's handled it. He does not have to worry about it. But I want to bring up a real name. We've got about one minute left because, you know, the hard break at the top of the hour. It's interesting, this idea of Bill Browder and some of these oligarchs that have been uh, sanctioned. And you know the story. You've been researching the story before researching the story was cool. Talking about some of these oligarchs that have now been sanctioned. Uh, do you think this actually worked to a certain extent to Putin's credit? Because some of the ones that have been sanctioned were not Putin fans. They were ones that were actually against Putin all along, uh, that they were actually of the former regime, the more, you know, the more globalist type of regime that was in Russia. Uh, are we seeing that these sanctions actually backfired and possibly even were a part of Putin's plan? The sanctions were sanctions against the American people. They did not affect Russia nearly as badly. He was prepared for it. So we'll be talking about that when I come back to the show. We'll be talking about some of the oligarchs who've exposed themselves in Russia and how great this is. Well, we look forward to hearing your voice back on your show. That's Lee Stranahan. Catch him tomorrow back here on The Backstory. live from America and just outside, 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 very chilly of the matrix. Now it's time for the show that's going to bring you the truth all behind the headlines. I'm Scotty Nell Hughes filling in for Lee Stranahan. This is his show, his seat, and I've got one hour left. It's been an honor to sit in front of this microphone and talk to you about the top headlines for the day, because this is Backstory. Lots to get through in this last hour, and I've got to bring in our Disney princesses. Now, speaking of Disney prince and princesses, sorry, Rod, I got to do it. I'm sorry. I got to ask you, what's your favorite Disney movie? I think, uh, it's, it's, I think it's The Lion King and Pinocchio. Oh, very male, very masculine movies you're talking about there. It's, it's you know, uh, that's exactly. I, I guess I probably would have judged you if you would have come back and said The Little Mermaid, or maybe like you know Beauty and the Beast. So you you have that answer. You covered it very much. So I agree. But isn't it interesting that the the one you picked, Pinocchio. Pinocchio's 
older than dirt. What is it, 40, 50, 60 years old? I mean, it was made in the 60s. Um, and But yet the story is so, the, the whole theme of the story, we still use to teach our kids today. Some people actually need to relearn that story in a Washington, D.C. In fact, maybe that's what we need to do, Rod. Maybe we need to sponsor a movie at the mall there in Washington, D.C., put up a big screen and show the movie Pinocchio to some of the Congress people. I think they could probably learn that. Well, that was before today's. I mean, we're looking at all the controversy going on with the Disney movies, with their making a very political stance against Ron DeSantis and what they say is they don't say gay bill. Not really the part of the story. Uh, but, you know, in that case, now I just got to ask the Lion King. Why do you like the Lion King so much, Rod? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, I would say uh, my first dog's name was Simba. It was before the Lion King came out, so I would guess I would say that's probably why. Just affinity for that. Well, if you wanted to relate current times to a, a Disney movie that we're living in, actually, I think Lion King would probably be a uh, probably pretty good reference to life that we're living in. Because once you know you get rid of the king and the ruler that actually you know wanted the best for all, and he's replaced not really accurately or not fairly replaces it what it should have been uh guess who comes in and rules the land that would be the hyenas and that's what i feel like we're living in right now people that um are only looking out for themselves uh, not telling the general public the general population on the prairie uh they're all having to deal with the situation so how do you restore the good back into a land well, you don't do it by overthrowing and causing a coup in another. You actually focus on what's here at home. So you know what, Rod, thank you. You gave me the great segue into what we're going to be talking about today on The Backstory. 202-521-1320. This is going to be your last chance to give me a call, please. 202-521-1320. We are devoting this entire half hour to callers. And there's a lot to talk about. Like I said, we just talked about the Lion King, how we can associate that with the world that we're living in today. Uh, because right now we do have a bunch of hyenas and they feel like the only way they're going to restore order and happiness to their land is by actually causing chaos in another land far, far away. But it's not really working out all that well for America. Now, what makes U.S. so attractive or what did make it so attractive to make it this big political ally by countries around the world? Was it the U.S.'s nuclear arsenal? Was its Navy and its military capabilities? How about its high-tech army? Okay, I can see why you would want the United States to be your ally. But actually, the real power that the U.S. brought the real reason why you'd want to be an ally, our global power, was the mighty U.S. dollar. It was the currency that made up 60% of the world's reserves. This is why I think the U.S. felt that they could slap these financial sanctions on foreign firms anywhere that they wanted to do. Well, guess what? It's having a bad week. And it's a bad week that I have to wonder, do you not think that the United States, those in power, could have guessed that actually the events in Ukraine, the decisions of the West banding together, all of the other old enemies of America would actually leave, lead to the de-dollarization movement and strengthening it? I don't know. Let's ask Jerry, Missouri, Jerry from Missouri. Jerry. Do you feel like those that are in power that did these sanctions, that they actually believed 
that this was going to result in actually hurting us here at home. Food shortages, our dollars now being weakened around the world. Uh, I think that's probably all part of their plan, but I, I got a question for you. There's all this talk in conservative media and among conservatives and everything about uh, how the, the Republicans are going to give the, the Democrats those shellacans in the midterm elections. Well, I, I want to quote Joe Biden here in 2020 before he won the election when he said, we have the most extensive and inclusive voter fraud organization in the history of American politics. And so after the after he said that and then won the 2020 presidential election, what makes these conservatives and anybody on the right or Republicans think that they're going to win anything in the midterm elections? Haven't they haven't they got it yet that, you know, we don't us people, us peasants don't don't uh, decide elections. The wealthy people and those behind the curtains decide who gets elected. What do you think about oh. Have people Jerry, what Joe Biden said in 2020 before he won the presidency? Jerry, if we'd not just gone through the 2020 election, I would probably say, no, there's no way that could happen. But let me tell you, when I am seeing it actually legalized to have these voter boxes that are unmanned, uh, unsupervised, just being dropped off on corners and votes being picked up, uh, anything is possible. And I think that what, what you're saying, that's why I think Republicans have to be very careful. If you were going to go just based off of what was happening and all of just the plethora of opportunity that conservatives, Republicans could have based on what this administration and the, the control of the House and the Senate, the, the Democrats are giving them, then I'd say, yep, Republicans have it. It's in the bag. But I kind of also felt that when I looked at rallies of thousands, hundreds, thousands of people, and Joe Biden in his basement the entire campaign season with Kamala Harris, who had lost the primary so just beautifully, uh, historical loss that she received. Uh, I never thought that we'd be in this position anyways with Joe Biden being president. So uh, you're right. I think that the Republicans don't need to put their, their mind that this is a done deal, that they need to base this on agenda. And I'm not going to tie the two together. But what we're missing while all of this is going on, all of our attention right now is on Ukraine and Russia and everything they can spin on that. We're missing that around the world right now, but also here at home, the groundwork is being laid with a fear of COVID to come back in. We're seeing stories being popped up about how the biggest lockdown is happening in this city, in this country, that's ever had the largest amount of cases. Now, we're not talking deaths. But magically, again, the numbers, these huge dramatic numbers of people that are testing positive. And even in the Biden administration, it seems the people that are testing positive are in the Biden administration. And Fauci reemerged on Sunday to stop, start talking about how possible lockdowns could be in the future based off of the numbers that are coming back and this new wonderful version, this new the new COVID variant that's coming back out, and that Americans needed be needed to be prepared. In fact, I you know yesterday President uh, Biden his uh, press conference that he gave, I joked on Twitter that I actually felt like as he was talking about free vaccines, boosters, free at home tests. You get a quality mask, you get information, you get a vaccine. Everything he was handing out that that press conference should have said, this presidency brought to you by Pfizer, Moderna, Johnson & Johnson, 
Because as we have learned, nothing is free. Everything is government funded. And while the rest of the country was in shutdown and small businesses were mostly losing, unless you were one of the ones committing fraud, were mostly losing during the coronavirus, we were actually seeing that the big pharma, they made the most they've ever made. They had record profits that year, not because they had all of these great diversity. They had all of this expansion. Nope. It was because three main products, not only did were they allowed to solve the problem, but then they were allowed to prevent the problem and they had the government forcing it to happen. Oh, and they also got to do the test for the problem. Magic how that one happened. But that's exactly what we're dealing with right now. And I agree with you. It's it's for Republicans to think, to go to bed at night saying, we've got this in the bag. Yeah, if we lived in a normal society and everything, and we had this idea called, you know, I don't know, voter integrity in the U.S., then I say, you're right. But when you're looking at states where you don't even have to show anything to vote, that you just mail it in, that you don't even have people in any form doing accountability, uh, I find it funny that in a world of technology that we live in today where everything can be found we're still having to go back and ballots are taking not hours, not even a night. They're taking days to be counted. And magic ones, uh, they show up here and others. I'm done with it. I agree with you, Jerry. Republicans do not need to be sleeping soundly at night. Well, I got one last thing. It even matters. Republicans will never be in power again, and there will never be another Republican president. Democrats don't win elections. They steal them, and they have permanent power now. And that's just the way it is until America collapses. That's all I've got to say. Thank you. Well, Jerry, I'm not as much pessimistic as you are, but I get where your frustration comes from. I really do. I understand where the frustration comes from, but I do think that there is a chance. I do think that it's up to these states in their own state legislature, because goodness gracious, I'm not going to give much credit right now to those that are in federal office, but it's up to these state legislatures uh, especially in states like Pennsylvania, North Carolina, Wisconsin, that they install voter integrity. So that, that is the one thing is that if you can start, it's a lot easier to, to get rid of the corruption, to get rid of any of the wrongdoing that's happening. It's, it starts with that county party. It starts with making sure that those county elections, that those small elections, that good people are put into office, are put into power to make sure that those elections are kept well. It starts at the local level and you build from there. And that's why I believe that it's sad that the, the evil usually comes from the top, the good comes from the bottom, let the good rise uh, the cream rise the top and then and, and let's go on and just get rid of the bad. They somehow have to meet. And while I I, I don't see that it's going to take a lot for the Democrats, there's going to have to be a major change in wind. And it's not just going to be about releasing oil reserves in order to get the change in wind to happen uh, in lower gas prices. A lot has to happen for the Democrats to lose. Uh, but once again, we saw our country come down to just an absolute halt within two weeks, 14 days to, to stop the spread. It ended up being almost a year and a half. And if you are in some major metropolitan cities, if you are a certain age, if you are not vaccinated, your life is still highly restricted because of this virus. And there's been no accountability as to where it started. And while Rand Paul is trying to get some answers, we're not going to get very many if that if we're back into that scare and if they're able to scare us for it. Lots to talk about. Let's continue the conversation. 202-521-1320. You are listening to 
the backstory. I'm Skynell Hughes filling in for Lee Stranahan the last few minutes that we have together for this conversation. Hopefully not for a long time that I'll see you again and be able to talk to you. I want to talk about how we feel right now with this election going into it and how much you think this Ukraine-Russia situation will have on your mind. In a few weeks, some of you are going to the polls in May, others are going in August, but ultimately, the generals are in November. Will this have an effect on you? Brave in Atlanta. What say you today? Hey, Scotty. I um actually have a question for you uh, related to that. I, I, I don't. I don't, I'm under no illusion that the Republicans are any better than, than the Democrats. It's just so happens that the Democrats were in the unique position or put themselves in a unique position to totally screw up and uh, ruin lives, right? And, I, I, and it's my opinion the Republicans are just waiting for their chance to do the same. I also believe that um, it doesn't matter which party they control, especially now because they're so out front with their corruption and their lack of care for responsibility uh, uh, representing um, their voters, that no matter which party you have in control, you really just got one party, which is the corporate masters over you. However, having said all that, my question is, um, with all the stuff that we've seen uh, Democrats take um, with with these uh, private social media companies, supposedly private social media companies and stuff to, um, to, to take these measures of censorship and control of messaging and controlling narratives and all that, that power they have that they, that they now hold, let's say that the Republicans sweep and they take over uh, the House and the Senate, or the Senate, or whatever the case is, and they get the control. Of, they get control of the White House again. Do you see? Because I don't believe the genie will go back in the bottle. So I guess I'm asking you: Do you believe that they'll find, the Republicans will find a way to put that genie back in the bottle, or do you believe that they'll take that power and continue to ride with it, but just in a different direction? Or what do you? What direction do you see that? going in as far as uh, the Republican Party taking control and, and then still having the reins of all, all of this, uh, of these social media companies to, to, to um, manipulate narrative stories and control uh, speech in the way they have been thus far. That's my question to you. Bray, that's a great question on it. And here's the way that I look at it. And you're right, it's hard to put that genie back in the bottle, but it depends on which Republicans get power. That, that's a big thing. It's amazing that one good, honest person, they say, well, that, they can't do anything. Actually, they can. They can do a lot of Washington, D.C. You put one uh, one candle that is flickering light in a room of darkness, and it changes the entire picture. And that's what I believe. It depends on which Republicans you put back in. Now, if you put back in Lindsey Graham, luckily, we don't have to worry about Adam Kinsinger anymore with uh, Kissinger with the uh Republican Party. But if you put back in the neocon, uh, honestly, a lot of the snakes that we saw in the Trump administration, but I don't think he realized who he was putting into power. And sadly, they're going to be holding an American first policy, which is the PAC that is is basically supporting President Trump. And if he gets to run again, they're going to be doing a, a I read today they're going to do an event in Atlanta and they're bringing back in Kellyanne Conway. Uh, they're bringing back in a lot of the same people that had been a part of the original Trump administration. And never before I thought to myself, I'm like, how come 
The same ones that lost, never ever before have I seen the same team that lost, overwhelmingly lost an election like they have, still be allowed to stay together. You keep together a team that wins. You keep together a person, you keep together a collection when it works. But guess what? It didn't work. It lost. It lost an election that overwhelmingly they should have won and they lost. And yet here we are going to see again that they're already starting to talk about how they're getting the band back together. And I'm not so sure that band shouldn't be permanently dissolved and sent to the four corners of the earth. But what do they do differently? How do they do differently? Well, Sadly, unfortunately, you're right. Birds of a feather flock together, and it's, this goes down deep. Hence why President Trump, if he would have gotten in, should have uh, completely destroyed all elements of the bureaucracy that existed in the federal government today, and then go after the state government, especially in states like New York and California. But he didn't get that chance. And three of the four years were meant, and I do believe it was on purpose, to keep him from going in and destroying this bureaucracy. Right. So I, I totally agree with you. Uh, however, I, I would want to point out that um, a lot of the well, I guess you, you did make this point already that um, a lot of people that were in his camp were working against him as well. Right. So um, uh, that, that's a perfect example of how the establishment protects the establishment. The system protects the system. Like I, I personally am a uh, a supporter of Tulsi Gabbard. I know people have issues with her, with certain um, takes that she has. But I, I, I for 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 the most part, she checks a lot of my boxes, and I don't expect anyone to be perfect. So I'm a Tulsi Gabbard supporter. However, um, I don't see that she would be allowed any more uh, room to to do anything that Trump could was trying to do or could do. I feel like they would try to have her in the same way. Although she does know the system a bit better, having been a congressman, so um, I, I would expect that she would be able to um, navigate that a little bit better. But I just I guess the, the point that I wanted to return with is that. Um, if, if, if the people that you, if the establishment protects the establishment, and, I, and the uh, the cabinet is working against that particular candidate, then how do we, how does that candidate get any room to change anything? Well, and that's the question when it comes down to the people. And the point is, I think we can all agree, and I agree. I, I think Tulsi is an amazing candidate. I wish that she'd actually run more, as I think she would do better on the conservative side than her own Democrats, who decided to completely bury her on purpose. But we know how the politics works in Hawaii, that a Republican could not get elected there, mainly because the entire state is so federally subsidized. Um, everybody's living off the government. They're enslaved to the government, so of course. They're not going to bite the hands that feed them. They're smart. They're going to continue to pay to elect a government that is going to continue to their lifestyles. But that being said, how do you change it? You change it by paying attention. The last thing that anybody in government, that any government, local, state or federal wants you to do is to know what's going on. And yes, you would think that in your spare time, you would like to just sit back and watch Netflix and you wouldn't want to have to pay attention to the news or get engaged or be involved. But you can't do that. We can't do that as a population. Now, you have to stay involved. You have to stay informed. And that is the only way that we are going to make change. And we have made change. I don't want this to be a show of all negatives. There has been positive change in the U.S. And I saw it 
with the birth, I honestly believe, of the Tea Party in response to Obamacare coming in, the idea that you can uh, keep your doctor, you have your doctor and keep it too. We knew that was a lie, sort of like George Bush's no new taxes. We knew that was like that got him kicked out of uh, out of office because people were paying attention and held them accountable for their word. Same thing with Obamacare, is that you saw this groundswell happen in 2008 Honestly, because of some talk radio hosts who got people engaged, got them involved. And the next thing we know, we have a huge crowd outside on the mall, not there to watch Pinocchio for movies in the mall. But we have a huge crowd there engaged to fight Obamacare. Now, we can talk about national health care and the good and the bad. We definitely know right now that what the system we have is not working for so many Americans, and that is horrible. But Obamacare was not actually the solution to it. And people realized that, and they decided to march for it. And that movement not only turned over Congress in 2010, but I do believe is exactly the reason why Trump was allowed to get elected in 2016. So change can happen, but it takes those people becoming engaged and holding those politicians accountable for their votes in D.C., even if that means peacefully showing up in Washington, D.C. in numbers or showing up in your local community and saying that you are paying attention and you are watching their votes. That's the only way to, to, to do it. Brave, great speaking with you today. Great speaking with you all this week. I wish you the best. Hopefully we will talk again in the future. Ingrid. Another one of our friends that my new friends from this week, Ingrid in D.C., how do you see it? Well, I'm with Brave. I don't see the Republicans as being any better and, and probably they're being worse. And I also am a fan of Tulsi. And if she and Douglas McGregor went at it on their own, that, I would vote for them for sure. Anyway, um, but you may have noticed I have my own personal little info war going. and. It's against people that uh, I should be my allies in, in peace movement, but who I feel have betrayed. They are, uh, they are, uh, well, Peter Kuznick didn't come on here with you today, but he was on with John Kiriakou and he just doubled down on saying that there was uh, no Nazi problem in Ukraine. And he went so far as to say he thought Putin was misinformed and uh, that they were failing and that um, Putin had no business being there for 21 years. Um, this is none of his business. I don't, you know, it's none of his business how other people want to run their country, whether if somebody gets elected for 21 years. And he's a, a, a very much loved in his country, strong leader. I think this is why uh, Kuznick doesn't like him. He, he, he doesn't happen to agree with what he's doing. I'm just really disgusted with these people who are kind of disguise themselves as peace activists, but are really some sort of imperialist still wanting to spread their notion of government over the world. Well, and and sadly, that's not with the sadly that's not something that's just new in the present. We've seen that. I mean, I think that's the tale as old as time. Speaking of of Disney movies, but what we're seeing now today is the idea that you have one country, and sadly, it's our own United States that seems to feel like that it's our job to, or they're using that to try to spread their form of government around the world. And yes, do I think that democracy is the best form? 
absolutely. I will tell you that. Uh, and we're not even just a democracy. We're a republic. We're a representation. But I do believe we are the best form of government when it's working. But it's also a form of government that can be easily corrupted, as we are learning today. And that is where the problem, I think, is falling. But that doesn't mean that just because back in, you know, hundreds of years ago when we founded the United States, that we were doing it because that meant for the joy of spreading it around the world. They were forming it for this country. And I don't know if any point in this country's history, and it's a very small history compared to the rest of the world, that we had it all right. That we actually had a time where it was working perfectly for us, because there's always been problems. But if you don't have it right at home, why do you think it's your job to send it right around the world? One of the best comments, Ingrid, that I heard, and I don't know if you got to hear it yesterday, was when we had my friend Neb on. And I thought about this. I just literally, this morning, I woke up going, that was a genius thought, because we here in the West, all of these stories, let's say if you truly believe that Russia is losing, and you look at what is going on with the military, and you look at you know every story, and you think Russia is losing, and Putin's being lied to with his intelligence, because that's the only way he would make these decisions, you're trying to compare the Western approach to war and military strategy to something happening not in the West. It's, it's happening in Ukraine and Russia. So therefore, if you're applying the standards, which, by the way, has little to no victories in their column to them, then, of course, I guess you could twist it and say that Russia's losing, maybe because things aren't carpet bombed and you don't have lots of blood in the streets that we're seeing. No, maybe that's what, how the U.S. defines a success in war, because that's what we've done in multiple countries. Uh, success, maybe overthrowing a government within you know a few few days, maybe a week or two. That's how we define it. And yet, once again, we're trying to put that same parameter over what is going on in the Ukraine-Russian conflict, and to their perspective and what's going on on the ground. I don't think they see. In fact, I'm pretty sure, guaranteed, they don't see the Russia's losing. And yet, that is a continued story and rhetoric here in the United States and in the Western media. Okay, your calls when we come back. Carter Loren joins us. We are going to talk about this idea. And I want you to know, congratulations. Great announcement right now. The first trans, the first trans woman has just found out she's pregnant. And how does that involve Disney? Well, we'll discuss. You are listening to The Backstory. back final half hour of today's show i'm scotty nell hughes filling in for lee stranahan who as we just announced last hour will be back with you tomorrow if he still keeps his energy up and all looking good but in this final half hour with you i've got to bring out this story and it's like towing through a minefield a social minefield uh in regards to the lgbtq agenda that is going on in the West today, especially America. But it took an interesting turn. A simple bill that was going through the Florida legislature uh, that from everything that I can see was just about not teaching sex ed 
to especially those younger than third grade, but also not putting a focus on either side, homosexual or heterosexual, actually focusing on academics, two plus two equals four, A, B, C, writing cursive, maybe a little bit more advanced than that. That's what I saw, mainly because there was, has been this so much attention been put on the curriculum that our children are learning mainly in the public school sector. Well, it has been turned into this bill, which was pretty simple, has been turned into a national byline and has been taken over as the let's uh, don't say gay bill. And it's now turned into this huge rally cry, especially for those progressives, those on the left. Uh, uh, they're trying to eliminate people telling people that they are gay in the classroom. And I don't even know if that was exactly happening. I don't know all of that. But it's all about the curriculum and parents who start to pay attention. Thanks, an odd part, one of the positives to the coronavirus and, and parents becoming teachers at home. So now we have a big, well, the big thing about Florida is what's located in Florida? Walt Disney World. And Walt Disney World, Disney's now had to take a stance because, you know, Disney always has to take a stance. And there's been a little bit through the years you've seen more and more social issues being going into. Well, now they've become especially woke. And they are now saying leaked audio, leaked footage shows that they're going to make at least 50% of their characters coming up from one of their executives be a member of the LGBTQ, ABCEFG community. That goes alongside with today's being Transgender Recognition Day. President Biden came out, actually said that recognition of it, talked about how he was going to make it fair for transgender athletes to compete, which I think is oxymoronic, because while you're making it fair for them to compete, you are definitely making the stage unfair for female competitors, especially in certain sports like swimming. Before we bring in our guest at this segment, Carter Loren, to talk about this, I want you to hear exactly what is going on, what was said about Disney and the Don't Say Gay Bill. I'm, I'm here as a mother of, of two queer children, actually, um, uh, one transgender child um, um, and one pansexual child, um, and and also as a leader. Um, and that was the thing that really got me because I have heard so much from so many of my colleagues over the course of the last couple of weeks um, in open forums and through emails and phone conversations and um, I feel a responsibility to speak, um, not just for myself, but for them. Identity politics at its best from a high-ranking Disney executive talking about her two uh, transgender queer children, which brings up the question, is this about more about grooming? Is this more about filtering people to go this lifestyle or about letting kids be kids on one hand. On the other hand, like I said, we have this competition happening in sports, this debate happening in sports. And who's losing? Well, it's not the transgenders. It's the women who are continuing to be outpaced and out outranked on multiple events. I want to bring in Carter Loren. Thank you for joining us on this. I want to see, like I said, this isn't an issue about gay rights. We, we That has nothing to do with it. In fact, if you talk to a lot of members of the gay community, 
they don't they have issues with what the transgender situation is happening because they've worked so hard to be seen as equals now it's being reversed even more so this isn't even an issue of whether or not the gay lifestyle that lifestyle it's about the rights that are being assumed and is it hurting the, the rights of others how do you see it hey scotty um yeah i i'm i'm old enough to remember in the 80s when it was difficult you know the argument that many gays were making was we're we're just like everyone else we just want to be left alone we just want equal rights um and the other side was was very concerned that uh they were you know they were representing the gay community as groomers as pedophiles as predatory as trying to push agenda on kids and um and the gay community said no 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 we just want to be normal we just want our rights and it's weird that uh, okay uh, gay marriage is legal now. I think societally we have a, a much more acceptance for uh, for people in gay relationships, and and that's all well and good. But here we are, forty years later, and now it kind of feels to normal people. I think looking at this from the outside, they kind of feels like, oh, you you did have an agenda, I guess. <laughs> like now, now the argument is, no, no, we just want to talk to your kids about your your kindergartners about our sexuality. Uh, and I think obviously most people find it repugnant. Well, and I think that's what it is. It's one of those that uh, you deny it. And yet that's what we're seeing about it. You know, you're talking about kindergartners and, and one teacher, there's a, a viral clip going around going, now I'm just worried because I'm not going to be able to talk to my kids if on my weekend about going paddle boarding with my boyfriend. He's obviously a male teacher. It's like, well, first, you know, where, why can't I talk about my weekend? I'm afraid of it. Well, that's not in the bill though. That That's, yeah, sorry to interrupt. It just has nothing to do with the bill. So how did it get taken? Here's my question. How was it? Was it was those that were about the bill, were they just not prepared? Did they not think it was going to cause this much of a national stir? I think you have to understand that they're inherently dishonest, and I'm not saying that lightly. Uh, because if they were seriously concerned that they could not say things like, uh, you know, my uncle is married to a man, or if they couldn't say, talk about their weekend, if they couldn't mention casually in conversation, if that was their concern, they could have addressed that and said, look, is this the intent of the bill? And they could have had that discussion um, because that doesn't look like the intent of the bill to me at all. It's not in what I would call the, the preamble or recitals or whatever of the bill. It certainly doesn't look like it in the language to me, but if that's their concern, they could have addressed it um, because the language of the bill looks to me like it's, don't have sexual education with from for kindergartners to third grade, and then after that, it needs to be age appropriate. It doesn't doesn't matter whether it's gay sexual education or straight sexual education. The bill just says that stuff is inappropriate for young kids, and after that, it needs to be appropriate. and And obviously, there's a lot of parental rights stuff in the bill as well. But the idea that that they're worried about these benign things, like I can't talk about hanging out with my boyfriend over the weekend. Uh, and say that I went kayaking or whatever it is, it that's just obviously dishonest. Because if it was honest, they'd have had that discussion. They didn't. Well, and that and that's the point of it. And we've taken it even from something as simple as a curriculum to even a bigger issue. Because now it's also adults. It's not just talking about that. We're gonna, you know, you're looking at right now. Today was Transgender Recognition Day, and in a time. When we have this major war going on around the world, we've obviously got a conflict with the largest nuclear superpower is in a conflict and we're not on their side. 
uh, we're putting out a video today from the Air Force, and I don't know if you were able to see this, Carter, but I showed it to my husband, who is a former Army captain. And if you read the comments, they had the same comments, is we're going to lose. We are a laughingstock. You had the first transgender uh military hiring official in the space force and she is a male female he she i don't even know what to call her doing this infomercial about being transgender in the u.s military and it's been pushed out by the u.s air force this is not meanwhile you know that people that do not like the united states are seeing this and going guess what guys we don't need to launch any bombs we don't need to launch any military they're going to destroy themselves from inside if they keep this up yeah, I mean, I think Putin has said as much, and I, I don't know if you remember Yuri Bezmenov from the, the 80s talked about ideological subversion as a tactic of the KGB. And I, I think I think, I think think the non-Western countries like Russia and even China are well aware that we're destroying ourselves. Um, I don't know if you know, but for example, in China, TikTok is uh, turned off after like 9 or 10 p.m. so kids can't use it. And it is, uh, and I'm not saying I'm up for government controls, but this is how they do it. Right? It's also curated um, in a way that uh, prioritizes interesting engineering facts and content like that over, you know, shaking your hips. So they're well aware that a lot of the stuff that's happening in the West is um, a form of necrosis culturally, and we will ultimately die from it. And they're just not doing it in their own countries. And I think they can just sit by and wait for us to eat ourselves. And not to blackpill you. <laughs> and not that, okay, so let's move this to Disney. So these latest moves by Disney, this obviously the leaked audio and then the blatant audio saying that they're going to make it more of a gay agenda uh, there within. In fact, what did I see that I read that there was going to be one cartoon you're going to actually have uh, two uh, two homosexual males kissing and that is going to be the romantic kiss of the movie, an upcoming, an upcoming remake, uh, whatever that is. Conservatives are saying they are now boycotting. They are going to stop their Disney Plus. I think it's great for a day, but do we really believe that those that are against this agenda can organize enough to actually not take their summer trip to Disney World? Do we actually feel like they're going to stay steadfast enough that they believe enough on this to make enough of a dent that they are going to do this in Walt Disney? Do you think they're going to be able to send a message? Uh. <laughs> I hate to say this, but conservatives do not have a great track record at following through on this kind of stuff. So I, I don't think so. And I, and I think we have a much bigger problem, right? Uh, parents are outsourcing parenting to uh, third parties. It's, it's, it's become normalized and actually expected. Uh, and in some cases, uh, people feel like it's necessary due to economics in a way that it wasn't when, you know, my parents or their parents were growing up. But you know, a lot of people use Disney for um, like a nanny. They they plop the kid down in front of the, the screen. Now, uh, you know, that's a low IQ nanny solution. It's bad for your kid. But a lot of people outsource their parenting to these companies. And what they don't recognize or maybe you're just uh, intentionally evading is the fact that these companies, some of them have agendas. They didn't used to have these overt agendas, but we have seen, I think it was Vox Day that coined the term convergence, which is when a, a corporation is infiltrated by radical leftists, typically through the HR department. And um, eventually that that uh, group of radical le leftists subverts the purpose of the corporation to change it from uh, 
making money and being successful, which is you know usually what corporations try and do, to pushing a particular political agenda, and they prioritize that over profits even. Um, and eventually, I think you know that eventually destroys a business, but not if it's in an environment in which. Yeah, uh, there's very little competition, and it's it's a cash cow and can last for you know hundreds of years <laughs> on its its uh, its reserves or whatever. So, you know, I think I think we view Disney as benign. I think a lot of view people have always viewed Disney as benign, and this should be a wake up call that it's not benign. Netflix isn't benign. Amazon's not benign. Uh, the 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 seal on children's books is not benign. It's preferentially given to books that push leftist agendas, your schools aren't benign. Uh, even your private schools, a lot of them adopt this stuff. So, you know, if parents don't start parenting, uh, don't worry, the leftists will take care of it, but it's not going to go the way you want. And the leftists have been taking care of it for generations. The reason why we're in this is because parents haven't been paying attention. They didn't think they had to. They were very trusting. They did not realize that their children were getting indoctrinated. And I'm talking all the way back into the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, myself, probably you as well, if you went to a public school. Now you look back on some of what you were taught and you go, oh, I see it now. And they didn't. And parents just they just trusted. But now I do believe that's one of the great things, the eye awakenings. You know what, Carter? It's great chatting with you. Let's continue this conversation. Let's become friends. Will you be my friend? Absolutely. Thanks, Scotty. Thanks for joining us. And you've been listening to The Backstory. want to cry. I feel like I've, I've bonded. I know Rod's probably ready for me to go, uh, but I've actually really enjoyed this week. It's my first time back in the radio talk show world for, for several years. I say several, it's been probably about two, but it's like riding a bike. You get on. And the problem with this is there's so many other things I would have loved to have covered. Life issues. I mean, do you understand? We start off this week. My daughter was become, turned to thir- or turned 14, her first year of being a teenager. We could have talked about that. We could have talked about the weather that happened and, and just uh, the extraordinary storms that went through the South and how people here in America react to it. We could talk about the frustration I had of going to the grocery store this week and seeing that my bill was doubled. We kind of hit on that. There's so many things in the world we could talk about, but ultimately we had to talk about what was most important because that's what the audience was listening to this show. That's why you listen to this network is because you need to get the full picture and you know you're not getting that anywhere else. I want to bring in the morning show host, Jamal, the uh, progressive soapbox himself, as every day I felt it was important because I think your voice and your ears need to stay tuned to this network and you need to start the news in the morning to the news of the night. And so that's why I've made sure that you knew what was coming up tomorrow. Jamal, thanks for joining me back. This is the last time you're my last guest on this question. And I, you know, we agreed so much. We agreed so much on the Russian-Ukraine issue. I had to find something that we disagree on. So I got to bring up the don't say gay bill and the reaction to Disney and it and the transgender athletes. I cannot end in getting along with you this week. Do you think this is being handled right when it comes to these athletes? Do you think that they should be given, they can, they should be able to choose who they want to compete with? Actually, I don't know if we entirely disagree with this one either. Oh, weirdly enough. Oh, 
So here's why I have watched. So, all right. So I, you know, I am one of those people. Like I am perfectly fine with this idea of um, a person identifying or feeling like they're a man or woman. Fair enough. I am perfectly fine with. Okay, this is what I want to be called. Okay, fair enough. When it's, however, okay, I am going. I am a marine, and I am going to trans. Um, change my sex into a woman, and then I'm going to compete against other naturally born women, and I am of a particular stature, I am of a particular weight, I am of a particular height, I look for all intents and purposes bred like a male. Yeah, it's a problem. Yeah, it becomes a problem. It does, and I agree. It's not only athletics. I have to tell you, I looked right now, and you have Zeke Put out. I'm smiling because I just found out I'm the first ever pregnant trans girl. Naming the baby Jesus, born to a virgin, trans, sent from God herself. And if you're wondering how, it's the water that did it. Now, you think it's parody. No, it's true. I don't know how I've not gone into the how, what they did and what they implanted or where they put it. Uh, but obviously in science today, they probably have come up with some way to do it. But I, as a woman who has gone through childbirth twice and all of the pain that it did to my body, not to mention, and this is what they're missing in all this. It's not just about, and I'm sorry, Jamal, I'm going to have to explain this to you, but you're a man. You have, you understand that big moments like giving birth, it's not about those nine months. It's in my case, the 26 years or more importantly, the 16 years leading up to that, that made that possible to happen that day. So if you can somehow recreate those 26 years, every minute and every second of pain <laughs> of being a female in my body, then go for it. Then try to have a baby. This right here, I think is almost just as insulting as the transgender athletes competing, the men competing with the women. This right here is insulting to me. You mean the person giving birth? Now, are you certain this is real? I mean, this sounds a bit extreme to me. It's a guy transfers into a woman, and then somehow they modify his body where he can has a, have a baby. They're saying anything's possible, so proud of it. And they're, she's going to actually, or he, she's going to have a, I'm super excited for the gender unreveal party that they're going to have. Um, I Everything, I'm, I knew you would make a great mom. Let's say all of this is real. Let's say it's true. Let's say it's true. Okay. How does that adversely affect anything about you being a woman, anything about you having a kid, or even diminish it, anything about you being a woman? Because it's not just about the next nine months of he, she, it, uh, carrying it and knowing that it would be scientifically altered in order to happen. Like I said, I, I we can talk about gay couples adopting if that's, you know, we can have that discussion. This has nothing to do. This is someone who is female, identifying as male, identifying as trying to act like a female or vice versa, male trying to act like a female that is scientifically engineered in this short term to be able to do this. Where I've had to live with this and everything, the changes my body has gone through to get to that since the day I was born. More importantly, now, post giving birth, I'm still living with the tortures that I get as a woman, being a female, the positives too, but what comes with it, it's not just about the nine months of carrying this baby. It's not just about the nine months, but whether you're a male, female, whether you were something else, let's say you're another species of something else, doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things. Ultimately, a person, meaning male or female, ends up with a child. However, they got a hold of that child, have birth to that child, meaning it's still a person. It's still a person who's going through the experience of having a kid. 
that experience of having a kid didn't start at nine months. It started in the same way. It started with you, meaning going from point zero to where you are now. I guess my thing is, it sounds like you feel like there's some level of competition of womanhood in this very specific situation or something that diminishes you and your ability to have birth. I don't think it does. Don't get me wrong. I, I agree with you in the sense of, okay, maybe you shouldn't be doing that. That sounds risky to me. Like that, that sounds a little screwy for the kid. So fair enough. Agree. Thousand percent agree. But at the point where the person goes through with it, is there somehow a diminishment of women? Does it undermine what it means to be a woman? I don't think it does. I just don't think it does. I mean, I, I, I think it's unfortunate of an idea. I'm so happy. We find something we disagree with. We some and you should. Because guess what? You you don't you've not had to go through it. You've not ever had to have those moments of oh my gosh, wearing you know the those moments of going a panic in your head, which has happened, or now the hormonal changes that I'm having to go not now but soon to come that I watch my mother go through because I don't want to date me too much. All this, but here's where it's having an effect on society, where it was just they just put out a thing talking about how. COVID, this latest turn of COVID, is more likely to happen on pregnant people. On pregnant people are more likely to catch this latest strain of COVID-19. It's not even the title of being a pregnant woman. It's a pregnant people. Yeah, that's a little offensive. Sorry. How is that a fit, sir? It is it's not a people. It's a woman. I know. I get that. No, no, no. I th- Look, I thousand percent get that. Totally get that. And and I like I said I agree with you with the scientific part. Men have their own things they're proud of. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with you with the scientific aspect of it, and I think it's risky for the kid. All that thousand percent agree. I don't think it diminishes. I, I guess my thing is it's the diminishment part that I disagree with. Meaning you being a woman is you being a woman, thousand percent through and through. And if a person wants to try to transfer into a female, okay, they transfer into a female. Well, that's to me they're trans female because. They weren't born a woman. That's the way I look at it and frame it in my head. If they want to call themselves a woman, fair enough. Does it mean that I would be okay with them fighting sports with women? No, I'm not. I'm not. I, I've seen I've seen the, the swimming thing. I've seen the fighting thing. And I got to be honest, the fighting thing looked like a crime. So, yeah, I, I'm in disagreement with the the trans athletes. The sports side, the trans side of that competing. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, it's... That was a- it, all of those issues, then that comes into the Disney aspect of putting it actually into society. And I want to get to what you're going to talk about tomorrow. And like I said, we're having a tiptoe around this because uh, I think you and I are probably pretty modest people. We could go into details. In the back of my mind, I'm thinking, okay, if we were playing cards against humanity with each other, we could have some real fun with this conversation. Uh, especially if there's a round table and Farron's there and there's tequila involved. We could really get into this. <laughs> but we're going to keep this clean because it's a family show. Uh, Oh God! But I think that's the problem is we're 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 really blurring those lines, and I think in blurring it, I'm taking away from you everything that puts as a man in this society. Call it a pregnant woman, fine, trans woman. Call it, she's still a woman, but it's no longer a woman getting pregnant. It's people. I think ultimately with Disney blurring those lines even more, um, I well, life is confusing enough. Why are we trying to make it even more confusing? When you and that's that that's what's crazy. Okay, let's get to the important part. Why well, I want you here in my last two minutes. What are you talking about tomorrow morning? So we're going to have Scott Ritter. He's going to talk about the military situation on the ground. Uh, Russia's standpoint is we're going through a secondary 
um, um, phase of operations. So there's that part. And so Scott Ritter has been extremely good at explaining what has been taking place. Um, at nine o'clock or nine fifteen, we're going to have league camp. Yeah, basically ending it um, on a really good note. Um, even though we've been hitting some pretty dark stuff this week, so there's that part. And there's another gentleman talking about domestic politics. All-Star Friday with you tomorrow. Lee Camp, Scott Ritter. Oh, you just can't go 24 hours without having a Scott in your life. Just admit it. Admit it tomorrow. Oh, and Ed Martin is the other um, guest. And that's going to be on domestic You politics. even get Ed Martin, my other. Okay, I'm going to be definitely <laughs> up and tuning in tomorrow. Even if you disagree with me on this issue, we'll have this conversation. And if we do it with tequila, we'll make sure that we tell you guys the notes after, maybe. Jamal, thanks for joining me. And you know what? To all of my listeners this week, thank you. It has been such an honor to be able to be with you this week, to share my opinions and these top stories, to listen to what you said. Thank you for how you added into my critique of the world's events this week. I'm Scott Nell Hughes, filling in for Lee Stranahan, who will be back tomorrow. And thank you to Rod and everybody in the production studio back at Sputnik. You've been listening to Backstory. Backstory.